say that. Goonies never say die. Fourteen. Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and since we spent half of the Shira show talking about He-Man, just to make things fair, we're going to spend half of the show talking about Tila. <laughs> I mean, those who already saw Revelations already know. Yep, that's the thing. Hey, in our intro, now we've done two out of the three sound bites in the intro. What happens when we do all three? Uh, we we fuse into four. a giant robot. Yeah, we hit four, we hit show four hundred and disappear fusion to a giant robot yeah i, I like yeah. that yeah. why is that robot fat and sad i want to be the cod piece <laughs> well you are i'm oh. already butthole if you like butthole wait <laughs> uh you might like the shows on geek life radio uh we're there 12 noon on saturdays but you can also find all things transformers the anime trap house the shining wizards wrestling podcast and of course, Geek Life Radio's own Rad Dead Radio Hour, the Smorgasbord. Oh, Black Betty, Wambalambo, Black Betty, Wambalambo, Black Betty, Wambalambo. I don't know the rest of the song. That's pretty much all of it, but I hate you because you stole my joke for later. Did I really? Yeah, I was going to say that's Ram, uh, Ram Jam is Ram Man's cousin. Oh, damn it. <laughs> they never invite him to Just <laughs> Oh, Black Betty. Wambalamba. Yeah. So if you're looking for more of this, of this, and the, what this is, what you is can this? find our uh, back catalog at Google, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts, Podbean. We are on Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. To get in touch and give us a show that you'd like to hear, call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You can also join the conversation on our Discord by clicking the Join Us link in the show notes. Conversation is always lively. In fact, right as of right now, we are talking about crawling up Thanos's butt. True story. Yeah. It's not a plan or anything. It's just a topic of conversation. Speak for yourself, sir. What yeah. if? And is, is Thanos a top or a bottom? So we do have a pile of voicemails, this time not from listener. But as is tradition, I didn't check until just now. So come back next week. Tradition. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, Reptivia. I guess in that case, it's about this time, huh? Indeed. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. I'm kind of impressed. I could have kept going, but, you know. Man, you've got some what oral was control. <laughs> All I know is the waveform looks like a tapeworm. <laughs> I was trying to do the penis thing. It didn't work, though. No. <laughs> okay, so this week we're going with September 5th, 1983, which is the release of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. All right, so music. The number one song in the land was Sweet Dreams Are Made of This by the Arrhythmics. I had thought that song came out a, wa- a lot later than it actually did. I mean, it makes sense. I don't think I remembered the, uh, encountering the song until the video was out, and I probably wasn't watching videos until, like, 85 to 87. Yeah. And the song still is around. I mean, Marilyn Manson brought it back, and then it just keeps lingering. Yep, especially because that stupid cheese parody that people do. And it was in Parks and Rec, too. 
True. Ah. It is a pop culture reference thing. And Addie Lennox is still making music, too, so good for her. And the other guy? The guy with the Dave, beard? Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart. Yeah. I don't I don't know. If he's smart, yeah. he's still making music with Annie Lennox. I, I, I think he's a producer somewhere. Oh, oh well, good. there's money in that. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Yeah. So uh, on September 1st, after months of missing rehearsals or showing up late and unruly, Mick Jones was unceremoniously dumped from The Clash as fellow band members Joe Strummer and Paul Simon, Simonon, <laughs> Simonon? Issued a press statement announcing he had been fired from the group. They had and a of, clash. And of course, now, oh, but now I have a picture of Paul Simon in yeah. a clash. Yeah, now we're they all just hired him to fire Mick Jones. <laughs> hey, we're bringing um, you on to tell Mick Jones he's fired. You're the nicest guy we know. Please just fire this guy. But wear the chicken suit while you do it. <laughs> fire You're fired. I don't know. That didn't work. No. And finally, <laughs> released this week, Faster Than the Speed of Night, was the fifth studio album by Welsh singer Bonnie Tyler. She had changed musical direction and worked with Jim Steinman, who produced the album and wrote its most successful single, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Now, okay, I need some clarification on whether or not this is true. That Total Eclipse of the Heart was actually a romantic ballad from a uh, stage musical about vampires falling in love with humans that was called Nosferatu. And it's actually supposed to be the woman talking to the vampire. And that's why it's talking about eternity and all that. I would not, I don't know myself. I would not entirely be surprised being a fan of Jim Steinman that I am, that that is true. That sounds like something he would write. I I was going to say, he he wrote that. And uh, at least the original, the lyric turnaround, Bright Eyes, uh, he had a musical in 69 called The Dream Engine. So I don't know what The Dream Engine is about, well, this never got the Nosferatu apparently never was released, never came to fruition. But Total Eclipse of the Heart is basically the human talking to <laughs> singing to the vampire about once you bite me. That's why forever is going to start tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, would, like I said, I literally would not be surprised to find out Jim Steinman wrote a vampire know. opera because. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's an urban legend. Like it fits, but just as well as like. Uh, Africa is also about like a vampire hunter who's going down there to bless the rains. <laughs> oh, I do not give them that much credit. Jim but Steinman, yeah. yes, I do. Yeah. Jim Jim Steinman, for for those that don't know, listeners or even you guys, uh, is, is the main collaborator and songwriter for Meatloaf. So he's very known very much for like long ap- operatic rock type, you know, like storytelling songs. Yeah, thematic stuff across the yeah. whole album, like Bad Out of Hell and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I would not be surprised if he wrote a vampire rock opera. But yeah, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it, that was an urban legend either. So yeah, I don't, right. I don't know the truth. Well, and well, Bad Out of Hell was also inspired by Dream Engine. So, well, according to this, the Dream Engine was a rock and roll musical that uh, he produced or, or you know wrote and then did in 1969 mm-hmm. uh, while still at Amherst College. But it, there's no like synopsis of it that I can find yet. I got so you. I don't, don't know what it's about. Yeah, and and for all we know, Nosferatu could have been like a reworked Dream Engine that he yeah, never. Dream Engine is about a cult of Baal. Uh, See, it's not worth uh, slowing down the show for, but I'll, I'll shoot you a link. <laughs> Yeah, it was originally called Ball or Bale, however you say it. Ball, B A apostrophe A L. I do, I do like Jim Steinman's uh, writing and songs and everything. A lot of times when I find an operatic type song that I really like, I'll later find out, oh, well, yeah, of course he wrote it. That's why I liked it. Oh, all right, yeah. 
The only Celine Dion song that I that I can stand and like is was written by him, and it was like years later. I, I, I it was one of those things. I was always like, why do I like this song so much? And then I found out he wrote it. I'm like, oh. Okay. And then you're like, you listen to the rest of the catalog, but I won't do that. No. Yep, I would not do that. Yep, very good. Yeah. All right, moving on to movies. This isn't going to get any better. <laughs> the number one movie in the land was Mr. Mom, starring Michael Keaton, Terry Garr, and Martin Mull, among others. You killed him. What did you use? 44, 45, whatever it takes. <laughs> Early Michael Keaton, man. For yeah. sure. Fun stuff. I like it. You can't feed a baby chili. I'm, I'm glad he's still around because as the uh, the um, buzzard, right? In the, the vulture. Spider-Man. Vulture. The vulture, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. In the vulture, he is great. Well, we're going to see what happens in December because they're keeping tight wraps on the plot of the next Spider-Man. And Sony is probably not going to release the trailer until the film is weeks away from dropping. Because I think they don't want everyone to be able to dissect it and guess half the movie. Right. Well, he's had quite a resurgence because he was kind of going to straight to video territory for a while. And then all of a sudden he picks some winners and like the founder and Spider-Man and... Or even like the other guys. I was just about to say the other guys was a, a big turnaround for him because he was great in that. And a lot of people started going, hey, he's underappreciated. Don't be chasing yep. waterfalls. <laughs> Come on, that can't be coincidence. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ellie Luku, known professionally as Ellie Lambetti, was a Greek actress. In 1941, she was rejected from two theater schools, the state one and a private one, named for the Greek actress Marika Kotopouli. However, Kotopouli herself recognized Lambetti's talent and hired her. She adopted the professional surname Lambetti and became a lead actress in many stage and movie productions in Greece. Despite a successful professional life, her personal life was marred with tragedy and heartbreak, and her final years were a fight against recurrent breast cancer. She successfully starred in theater productions like Hello, Dolly! and the acronym of the week, which is C-O-A-L-G, which I'm pretty sure stands for Cream of Abraham Lincoln's Grandmother. Oh. Ew. But not Ooh. my favorite soup. You can't make a casserole with that. Oh, you shouldn't is the word. You know, you... <laughs> That's more or less the reaction I was going for with that oh. one. Uh. No, that is children of a lesser god. Uh, yeah, no. Not the same thing. However, her health was poor after starring in those productions, and she died from on September 3rd from stage 4 breast cancer at the age of 57. My birthday. Oh, oh she was absorbed on my birthday. Movies released this week were Escape from the Bronx, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, Mortuary, and Streamers. <laughs> I thought that's it was a... Steamers at first. <laughs> yeah, that, that was big in Cleveland. Oh. <laughs> I know Even Escape so, from the Bronx. A, I was going to say, that's a weird mix of Mortuary, but I don't know the other two. Streamers? The only one that I even that even had like somebody in it was Streamers. Some, like The rest of them were all like, I didn't even recognize any of the names. Hmm. All right, so TV, the top shows in the land were Dallas, 60 Minutes, Dynasty, and The A-Team. Wow. Yeah. They redid Dynasty, and thankfully we haven't put that on the list. Not for lack of try. Oh, no, it's Dallas that we keep trying to do. Yeah. Uh, so uh, also this year, Jerry Lewis's 18th muscular dystrophy telethon held on September 5th raised $30,691,627.68. And one That's quite a one. chunk of change for uh, right. the 80s. Aw, lady. Say what you want about those movies. The guy did a lot of good before he went out. Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, September 5th was also a very busy day in TV news as the McNeil Letterer Report became the McNeil Letterer News Hour. <gasps> the first news program to expand to one hour in length. Also, Tom Brokaw became the sole main anchor of NBC Nightly News, ending a 17-month stint co-anchoring the broadcast with Roger Mudd. And Peter Jennings became the sole anchorman of World News Tonight after the death of Frank Reynolds two months earlier. Under See, suspicious that's, circumstances. That's actually pretty crazy because I didn't know the McNeil era news hour had a previous title. And Brokaw and Jennings are like the titans of 80s, 90s, and even later newsmen. Hmm. And it's just weird that it all happened on the same day. I wonder if that's like some there's some kind of like contract type thing where that was the opening of business or something. That's what it feels like. Like, why would all these things happen all on the same day in the same you know field? And like, it's just weird. Why would this guy drop dead two yep. months earlier to set up the whole situation? <laughs> Who the hell knows anymore? I'm you know? Peter Jennings, and you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself that you made me laugh at that. <laughs> all right, so the comedy series "We Got It Made." debuted September 8th, launching the start of one of the least successful New Autumn show rosters for a network in history, as none of the series would survive past the second season. <gasps> what? This included Manimal. Yes. What? Jennifer Slept Here. I don't know that one. Mr. Smith, Bay City Blues, The Yellow Rose, Boone, For Love and Honor, and The Rousters. But out of all those, which one are we still talking about occasionally? Manimal. 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 That's the only yeah. one I. That's the only one I even like. No, like that's even familiar. I dug Manimal, but it was no Auto Cop. Auto Man. Auto Man. Sorry. Auto Man. Yeah. Cursor. No I need a motorcycle. <laughs> Why is he like a 1920s carnival barker? <laughs> no, because yeah, I need a motorcycle. No, it's a. Uh, uh, Step right up. R- I'll change into something. It's R- Ricky Junior. Uh, yeah, Desi Arnaz Junior. What's yeah. the voice of? No, he was the he was the cop that worked with Auto Man. Oh well, he had the little the little computer generated like sprite or something. Oh, wait, was that, that, was, cu- that was, was cursor? That your, cursor, was that, yeah. Mike, was that your Cuban accent? Is that what was happening there then? Yes, yes. Let's just go with that. <laughs> it was kind of smashed like a Cuban sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a Cuban Babalu! man <laughs> smashed in a panini press. <laughs> I always wonder what they think upstairs when they hear shit coming from me. (laughs) The concept on We Got It Made is fine. It's just, it was a little boring. Like, you got two bachelors, they've got girlfriends, and they decide they need to hire a live-in maid, and they get a hot woman to do it. And that's basically the sitcom concept. I think I remember that. What if she was hot? It's like Mr. Belvedere. Mr. Belvedere with boobs. Mr. Boobedere. Yeah. yeah. Terry Coakley, hey. Matt McCoy, and Tom Villard. It's like Webster with boobs. All right, now we've gone to a weird place. <laughs> Imagine if we replaced the precocious child with boobs. That's In a million dollar jar. idea. Now make me a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> Pally. <laughs> You're dead. All right, I'm finally going to move on to sports. The 103rd edition of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament was held from August 30th to September 11th. The event was marred by the death of linesman Dick Wortham from blunt cranial trauma after an errant serve by Stefan Edberg struck his groin, causing him to fall and hit his head. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God. <laughs> I had to include that when I read that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's making it. <laughs> that's in the show. <laughs> what the hell? 
Oh my god. <laughs> you see poor Steven Edberg later. I was like, You killed a man. Yes, I hit him in the testicles with the tennis ball. And that <laughs> killed him? No, that's when he hit his head. <laughs> like it's, but I, I see it like one of those um, Rube Goldberg machines. Like he falls down and no goes into the net. The ball rolls across there, flips up a tennis racket. What a what a, what just a dumb way to die! Like like how horrible it is for the rest of eternity. That's how that guy is known. It's like mousetrap at the Wimbledon. What is happening? <laughs> see Dick Wortham in heaven. Really? It's like nut trap. <laughs> yeah. Mom, Mama Cass is over in the corner. Like shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Jane Mansfield says. <laughs> I, I get that. I, I get, get that. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. Boobs. Lennox Sidney Brown was a South African cricketer who played in two tests in 1931-32. He was a right-handed low-order batsman and a right-arm fast-medium bowler who turned to bowling leg breaks and googles, googlies later in his career. His first-class cricket career began with two matches for Transvaal against the 1930-31 English touring team, and he took seven wickets in his first match, including Wally Hammond and Percy Chapman twice each. He returned to South Africa in 1936-37, playing for Transvaal in that season. After his stint in league cricket, his batting had improved, but he was not picked for any further representative matches. He later worked as the sports editor for the Rhodesia Herald, and then he died on September 1st. We've been doing so much cricket now that uh, none of that isn't was unfamiliar. Like yeah, right. Transvaal, I'm like, oh yeah, Transvaal. <laughs> yeah, it's all starting to make sense. It's like this. It's like the scene in Thirteenth Warrior when all the language starts clicking. <laughs> <laughs> Californian Scott Michael Peloton set the barefoot water ski speed record at 119.36 mile per hour this week. He later broke this record in November 1989 at 135.74 miles per hour. Jesus. Barefoot water. He, he looks like he's wearing reverse flippers when he's barefoot, I bet. <laughs> like, I, just, I just mentioned him having all this flappy skin at like his heels. <laughs> well, now I know what Peloton is. And he died by water skiing <laughs> into a comically oversized fan. <laughs> And lastly, Henry Louis Ernest Prominence was a South African cricketer who played in two tests in the 1927-28 series against England. A right-arm slow bowler who bowled a mixture of off and leg spin, he took five wickets in the first innings on his test debut against England. He took three wickets in the second test, but then lost his place to the pace bowler Arthur Osh. He later lost his place in life as he died on September 7th. See, yeah, I saw that, so I had to make sure Peloton had some sort of tragedy happen. <laughs> wow, Couldn't leave a beer cr- frame. Yeah. Devil oh, cricket man. facts. I see this guy Peloton walking around. Nobody wants to walk behind him because he keeps stepping on his heels. <laughs> Quit stepping on my heels. I'm three feet back. <laughs> Everywhere he walks, it looks like a wedding tra- wedding dress train. <laughs> Except it's fleshy. (laughs) 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 Like if it rains, he can't go anywhere because his feet just stick. (laughs) No, he hydroplanes everywhere. (laughs) Uh, Hey, hey, Scott, what? (laughs) All right, we've we've lost the momentum. He's into water sports, you know. Ew. What, that piss you off? Oh. Call it, Pat. Play us off, keyboard Joel. Hi, this is Patrick. Nah, 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 nah. So way back then in the early 80s, somebody said, hey, we got a toy. I got an idea how to sell it. And then He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was born. 
I wish there was more than that. There is a little bit more than that, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to keep the action figure money rolling after the success of some of the other stuff in the early 80s. Like, we don't have to go too deep into that because the Toys That Made Us really covers that. And if mm-hmm. you haven't seen it, you should. And if you also want a deeper dive, uh, check out By the Power of Grayskull, which is a documentary about He-Man that is on Netflix, which covers Ooh. all the series up to the movie as well as... Well, it doesn't cover the new series, but... In which case, just skip this whole podcast. Just go watch that shit. (laughs) In fact, I'm out. And in fact, he was out. (laughs) All right. So, is American television series uh, produced by Filmation, as many things were back then. It was actually their most profitable show ever. It uh, eventually just got referred to as He-Man. It debuted in 83 and ran until 85. Uh, reruns continued in syndication until 1988, at which point the USA Network bought rights to it, and then they aired it until 1990. Uh, this had was the first TV show, children's TV show, to enter directly into syndication, which is kind of a risk that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, was basically a 30-minute commercial for the He-Man toys, uh, which was also in comic book and comic strip form. The uh, rebooted series eventually came out. He-Man and the Master of the Universe was renamed Masters of the Universe versus the Snake Men on Toonami in 2002. And there's a continuation series that just came out on Netflix. One is Masters of the Universe Revelation, which we're talking about. And the other one is a computer-generated cartoon of the, the other one is age. clap <laughs> it looks really bad so it's we're, clap. We're, gonna, <laughs> it we're gonna save this topic awful. for that yeah yeah it looks like garbage yeah it does so the primary cast for this had john Irwin as prince adam he-man ram man beast man faker webster whiplash granimar and others uh this is and others is going to become a prominent theme and all the voice actors on this one. Alan Oppenheimer was uh, Skeletor, Cringer, Battle Cat, Man at Arms, Merman, Buzz Off, Roboto. Lou Schreimer, Schreimer uh, was actually credited as Eric Gunson because he was the main producer of the show who did Orko, King, Randor, Stratos, and literally two dozen others, including Queen Marlena uh, and the Sorceress and others. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Linda Gary did Queen Marlena. Mix things up there. Uh, other voices were done by George Desenzo and Erica Schreiber, who was also Queen Merlina. Yeah, it's wild because the voice cast, like Oppenheimer, is clearly the best. A hundred percent. Like it's all the others are all over the place. Yeah, and here let me let me just run down what some of the other voices in other shows that these guys have done. So. John Irwin, who originally started off uh, in television playing Teddy from Rawhide, uh, also did the voice of Reggie Mantle from all the Archie Show cartoons. That ain't no Hank Williams song. (laughs) Ellen Oppenheimer, across the years, has done voices for Brave Star, Gem, Ghostbusters, Transformers, Linda Gary, DuckTales, Ghostbusters, Smurfs, Plastic Man Adventure Hour, and Spectre Man. Lou Schreimer, I can't say it, Schreimer, did Flash Gordon, Schreimer, Schreimer, there you go, Flash Gordon, and I totally forgotten about this one, but the Tarzan Lone Ranger Zorro Adventure Hour. Yeah. Um, That was before our time, but was in syndication. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching that. Arc 2, where he did the voice of the computer, it was a live action show. Remember they were traveling around like that big RV type thing? 
Um, and I, also, I kind of remember that. Yeah, look, I, I had to look it up. I looked it up, and the second I saw it, I remember watching it. And also voices for the Ghostbusters. Not Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters, about yeah, the two guys the, and the gorilla. Right. We've, we've gone over that one a few times in the show. Yeah. yeah, the gorilla in the top hat or whatever. Yeah. Now, Erica Scheimer, Lou's, I think this is his wife, because I know his daughter did voices too. Um, she did the voice of Marsha Brady on the Brady Kids cartoon, also did voices in Fat Albert, Jason of Star Command, and Black Star. Oh yeah, I still I like Black Star. Yeah, and then uh, Jay Shimer did Queen Marlena, uncredited for many episodes. So here's some trivia on this one: the writers deliberately gave Alan Oppenheimer's characters lines in quick succession, so they just because they liked watching him switch from character to character while doing the show. <laughs> that's a dick that's cool. move. But that's funny. awesome. I, I, you know what? It makes me sad that they probably don't have any video of him doing this. He's he's like a genuinely nice guy too. So oh, yeah. I'm sure he did it all in, in good fun. Oh yeah. This was the, like I said before, this is the first cartoon in the United States to go straight to syndication and air on weekday afternoons instead of the traditional Saturday mornings. Uh Skeletor's voice is the same voice Ellen Oppenheimer used for Ming the Merciless in Filmation's earlier cartoon Flash Gordon. And Linda Gary, played by Tila, played Tila, the sorceress Evil Lynn and Prince Adam's mother, Queen Marlena. But on several occasions, Marlena's voice was substituted by executive producer Lou Schreimer's wife, Jay. This is because the official voice actors, such as Gary, had it stipulated in their contract that they could only perform three voices in each episode. Weird. Therefore, Jay and his, her daughter, Erica, would often perform uncredited voices when needed. Okay, so that's the family relationship. Jay's the wife, Erica's the daughter. Yes, and that's why the uh, Queen Marlena, like her voice would change from episode to episode sometimes. So now, also in the <laughs> the Hall of Fame for Bad Decisions, Filmation's longtime composer, Ray Ellis, declined to work on this show because as a composer, he was never paid anything up front, only for residuals when the music was aired on TV. Since the series was the first to try out the straight-to-syndication market, Ellis was afraid that he would never see any money coming in. Shuki Livian Haim Saban had no problem accepting the deal and started working on two straight-to-syndication shows simultaneously, He-Man and Inspector Gadget. Yeah, Ray Ellis screwing up, there's a direct through-line from his decision there and the creation of Power Rangers in general in the United States. Ah, yeah, Saban mm -hmm. is fucking rolling in it, man. Oh, well, yeah. And Shuki Levy was involved in Power Rangers as well. See, I don't ever hear... Yeah. Yeah, you only he hear Saban because they say his name at the beginning of the show. Right. Well, yeah, it's because he's the producer. Like, yeah. uh, Shuki Levy was, again, a, a, a composer. I think he was for some of the movies. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, so... I highly doubt it, but is this a first viewing of this show for any of us? Yes. Really? Yeah. Yep. I, I actually knew that. Huh. Remember, Pat was like, what, 32 when this first started? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so, he was, was working at the bar, so I don't know why he would have stopped to watch this. <laughs> no, I just, I never have ever had any interest in He-Man. I never had the toys. That's I never not watched true. the show. What? You like He-Man. Well, you have, <laughs> See, I'm with I mean, Pat just, on this. I'm, just, I'm never just given. It's just a car cartoon and a character. I've just never given a shit about. Yeah. See, I watched it a couple times. We I have a couple action figures because people bought them for me when I was a kid. But I've never been a He-Man fan. It just there was GI Joe and there was Transformers. I mean, why would I go to He-Man when I've got the you know the Quintessons and uh, 
Cobra Commander. Yep. G.I. Joe and Star Wars were my go-tos for action figures, so I didn't... I mean, I didn't... your answer to that question, why you would, is Skeletor. But, yeah. I mean, the, the, the size of the... You know, you can't play with a He-Man figurine and a G.I. Joe at the same time, because it's like three times the size of it, so... I did. Know. Yeah. I, I couldn't do that. It made no sense. I, I could not wrap my brain around it. I'm like, how am I going to logically explain why he's three times bigger? You must have been a lot of fun as a kid. <laughs> I spent a lot of time alone as a kid. Hold on, let me let me uh, graph this. I think I think those two things have a lot to do with each other. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, didn't see, need I didn't need friends. I made worlds in my head. I'm I'm with Josh. I mean, between Skeletor, uh, I was a, a Trapjaw fan. I liked his design, and um, uh, who's the other one? Fisto. Beastman. I mean, no, 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 no. I was trying to think. Uh, Buzzer. Spe- Speculum Man. Oh, Buzzer. Okay. My <laughs> yeah. other big figure, like, I always, I think He-Man may actually be the genesis of my association with the villains because they had some cool figures. In particular, my big two were Skeletor and Triclops. Like, Triclops is my dude. Triclops is pretty badass. I do like, I do like Triclops as a, a concept, but again, I'm with Pat on this one. I just thought the the, the figures were so ridiculously... Like, I'm surprised you didn't get like, uh, body dysmorphia. Yeah, I mean, well, what's that? What's that meme yeah. they say? Well, here's here's what the girls play with. This is Barbie. Is a, yeah. a, a model that they can never attain to. In the meantime, boys, you play with He Man. Yeah, you play you play with these guys that have point zero zero eight body fat and yeah. muscles on muscles on muscles on muscles. Now, did you get the second round of uh, action figures that came with a little vial of steroids? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they- but see, my whole my whole thing, one of my big issues with He-Man, honestly, was the whole, you know, the most powerful man in the universe. When really, you know, because I was so into Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, I'm like, really, he's he's just a, a, a high level barbarian. I mean, he's just like really, he has like strong strength and constitution, and he doesn't like, even rage. What the he, hell do you do with a barbarian that doesn't rage? He doesn't drink uh, or funny. anything. But no, I'm just like, I'm like. He's just, I mean, how can he be the most powerful man? In, I would buy he's the strongest man in the universe. He's not the most powerful man in the universe. He can't even, like, cast spells. He can't heal. He can't do anything other than be a barbarian. Now, like, he's got a sword, and he smacks things around, and he's, like, fast and strong. But that, And he has the power, Patrick. And yeah. <laughs> he I would buy the most powerful man in Eternia, or whatever the name is. That they, you know, I would yeah, buy that, right. but before before the universe. I'm like, come on. Now, here's here's a couple things about the animation. Uh, Joel, you'll dig this. The animation went from cardboard cutout, mo- mouths moving only, to some really good He-Man running up at you with the punch thing, or Tila's often used rolling out of the way animation. Um, they actually rotoscoped a lot of the animation for the show instead of uh, regular uh, hand-drawn, which I don't yeah. know if, Josh, Pat, do you know rotoscoping? Uh-huh. Okay, nope. it's just it's just basically they take a film of it's it's advanced tracing. They take a film of a girl doing the tuck and roll out of the way, and frame by frame they trace over that, and that's why sometimes oh. the animation was super smooth, and the rest of it, Battle Tank only drives right. <laughs> I've I've seen that done like in behind the scenes stuff, but I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, okay. there was okay. a lot of rotoscoping with the. Um, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where, I think that's where I saw it, yeah. Now, here's another thing for Josh. The first episode, I did a little bit of a deep dive on this one, mm-hmm. written by Larry DiTitillo, mm-hmm. okay, who also wrote the Call of Cthulhu adventure, which has won uh, many awards, Masks of, I can never say his name. Nyarlathotep. Yes, that guy. One of the best Call <laughs> of Cthulhu adventures ever, actually because there was a strike going on at the time. 
and there was there was another writer strike back happened apparently in the early 80s that I don't recall and he was like well maybe I'll do a little bit of this RPG writing wrote up a bunch of great stuff in tabletop gaming and then when the strike stopped he just went back to doing animation yeah masks is not only considered the best call of cthulhu adventure it is widely in the conversation uh, as the best published scenario in any game wow yeah it's also the best campaign i've ever run so yeah which Uh, brings up the question if he can write that what the hell is he doing with this like this first episode of of he-man because he's got this wizard guy running around because everybody knows back in 83 kids just loved ed Wynn impersonations well because he wrote it in 15 minutes it got paid like fifty thousand dollars probably are, are we talking <laughs> about the problem with power no that wasn't mm. a, the, no, oh, that the, was the, the final episode the one with the comet like, yep, he, yep. He, he wrote these he-man episodes while taking shits that's what he... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know if he's getting paid man Right? Like, why wouldn't you? I have the uh, power. J. Michael Straczynski also, I don't know if you guys know who that is. I know that. He's a pretty famous comic writer and the creator of Babylon 5. He he wrote a few episodes of uh, He-Man, and in a way, it was the launching of his writing career. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I mean, you got to get your start somewhere. I mean, and good for Straczynski. I mean, he went on to do some great stuff. I mean, Larry here, I mean, I think how many other awesome modules and other games we could have gotten if he just said, you know, maybe I can just keep doing this. But I guess, you know, you're 100% right, Pat. It's he's gotten got paid more for He-Man, so you go where the money is. Yeah. I mean, you got to take into account with some of the writing is that you've got kind of a, a limited well, I don't want to say a limited palette to play with because it's a rather large universe. But, you know, like one of the first the first ep- well, I thought was the first episode where they have the the box of disappearance, which basically looks like a, an engagement ring box. Oh, it makes no, people the, disappear. The diamond of disappearance. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just it's literally, literally just them... yeah, he's, he's like proposes to people and just makes them disappear. Like... I mean, if if somebody, you know, that happens a lot, you propose and then the people disappear. But <laughs> <laughs> And then he man has to crush it. Thank you, everybody, for being at a very small portion of the sadness of Joel's life. <laughs> hey, one stuck around. <laughs> well, uh, it's early. <laughs> you know, when you're here for the wedding, Laura's going to kick your ass. You walked into that one, though. <laughs> That's true. Time will tell. So, <laughs> Narrator steps in. <laughs> But, you know, when you've got kind of a a limited palette, when you've got a toy line that you're trying to create something out of, that was a big problem with the series, I think, is that it it was the same the same thing every time. You know, Skeletor comes up with a stupid plan. He that works for a minute. They fight. He loses. They have a moral to the story and then move on to the next episode. Yeah, I like the toys. The problem can't be so complicated that a leather daddy with a giant sword can't fix it. And then you give the the message. At the end, yeah. through <laughs> it was like Jerry Springer's at the end of the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> a leather daddy with a giant sword. I'm glad Steve? someone appreciated that because yeah. I just ran. <laughs> well, I'm I was just gonna muted. let that one go. You, I was muted. You didn't hear me lose it when you first said it. So. <laughs> Does that make yeah. Steve He Man? Okay, you know what I, one of the other issues <laughs> that I have I have with this is is Prince Adam, and I'll get into this with the second one. Prince Adam and He Man. Literally no physical difference between the two of these people, except they changed their shirt. Yeah. Does nobody in the attorney just go, hey, he took off his pink blouse and put on 
if you think about it, everybody in that whole universe is buff as shit, so that's just normal. Like, <laughs> oh, that's true. He's like Thok. Yeah, but that haircut. <laughs> the Prince Man, Valiant. It must have been an awesome bowl. <laughs> One bowl to rule them all. <laughs> that's the motto of your life. Oh, uh, 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 uh. So here's a question for you. Evil Lynn versus the Baroness. Who wins? Uh, if you're talking about in my fantasies, the Baroness. <laughs> if you're talking about in my fantasies, me. <laughs> well, are you talking Evil Lynn from the 80s or Evil Lynn from the Revelations? No, I'm talking about Evil Lynn now. Because if it's Revelations, it's Evil Lynn. Yeah, she's pretty badass. No, I'm I talking actually. now. We'll talk. I mean, because this is we're, we're compares apples to apples on this one. So, yeah, she is kind of. Uh, in either case, you've got the main female henchwoman of the big bad, and I, I think I'm still going with the Baroness. Jokes aside, I mean, if you're talking original series like '80s cartoon series, yeah, Baroness would probably would probably take it, and in that terms, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, like, while there were individual episodes that were fairly well written with the chains on their wrists of the limited ways you can highlight the toys and have a problem He-Man can solve and then uh, do the work in some sort of moral for the kids, the writing wasn't the point. The point was that you've got these character designs that are imaginative, very distinct, and easy for even, like, five-year-olds to get an idea of this is what this dude is about. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we designed this new toy. Okay, it's a a tank that's got a shark head that clamps down, and you know, so write that into the series somehow. Make make one of the characters use this toy. Yeah, you're never going to be allowed to write anything where you know He Man has to solve a diplomatic diplomatic mission or something. You know, it's like no, stop that. <laughs> and none of the toys are gonna die. None of the vehicles are gonna be like none of the vehicles are gonna be one ofs that are destroyed in an episode. That's just not. The oh my god, that was so the first episode where Beast Man is flying that jet and the battle tank shoots off just his wings. Well, and then of course there's like, okay, well our our toy sales for Buzz Off are kind of sinking, so why don't you put them in the next couple episodes and beef up the toy sales? And then there's characters like Stinkor, who they designed a toy, released it, you could buy it, but it never he was never in the cartoon. No, probably because it died, the show died. I, I don't know, but yeah, it has a lot of problems. Like I watched the last episode and the one that they say was the one that should have been the last episode, and in the episode. Uh, Skeletor gets a, a goblin guy that his heart does he doesn't have a heart like so if he basically is dead and he makes it look like he's a villager and so He-Man accidentally kills him in quotation marks after he realizes he's dead He-Man's like all right I feel terrible I gotta go and give away this power and everybody else that's there that like Tila and Orko they're like all right, we better go tell the prince or, or the king. And they just leave. They don't help the villagers clean up the mess. They don't help the villagers take the guy to his final resting place. They just leave. <laughs> like, so yeah. Good job, guys. We're out. That was an interesting episode because I watched that one too and I got curious about it. The original idea there was that He-Man was actually going to accidentally kill someone. And the toy company was like, no. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, apparently it was a throwback to a Prince Valiant comic where uh, Prince Valiant throws his sword into an abyss uh, to basically give up his power. And, uh, yeah, that was I actually thought that one, while uh, it still had kind of its goofy moments, that one was actually one of the better episodes, in my opinion. 
the uh, what was it? The problem with power. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I watched. I also watched Cold Zone, which is the fan one that they said should have been the last one. And the either way, neither one of them had any closure. So I'm thinking that the series kind of ended without maybe without their knowledge that it was going to end, and they didn't have time to really do a true finale. I, I don't know. I didn't do a deep enough dive. But there you go. Yeah, I. Going back to it, I knew it was probably going to be a Voltron situation, and it it it, it really was. And I don't yeah. think physics exists in that world, by the way. I mean, I didn't expect it to hold up. We saw Shira, and it was actually, in some ways, the better of the two shows back then because it was created later. So I knew what I was getting into, and I was appreciating the character designs, knowing that some of the voice acting was going to be wonky, knowing that the writing wasn't that great. So, like, it it didn't bother me as much as how shocking it was when we did Voltron. Well, and at least here they were creating the material from scratch, whereas Voltron, they were creating it based off of something that already existed. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's little just, harder to... Yeah, they were to. just altering it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, well, yeah. Well, that had to be kind of fun for the writers, too, where, you know, the company would be like, hey, check this guy out. We're going to write him in. You know, you can do whatever you wanted for the guy. Do whatever voice, do whatever characterization of it. And, you know, I wonder how many kids went out there, got the new action figure, and then waited to see him on the TV shows to find out how the heck he behaved. Right. And I yeah, kind of think... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, I get the feeling that the guys had way more fun in the recording studio doing this than I did watching it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they did. Because it's so closely linked to the toys, like it, it's pretty easy to see why you've got uh, the show falling off because you've got other toys stepping up and becoming popular. You've got the Transformers, and then a couple of years later, you've got Ghostbusters with their cartoon and then their toy. And then once Ghostbusters is starting to peter out, you go right into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which crushes everything else. Like and late they- 80s and early 90s, everything's Turtles. And mm-hmm. He-Man was kind of a, uh, uh, like an, I'm trying to think of the word here. Like they didn't know how popular it was going to be. They they were hoping it would be popular, but at the peak of it, it was making like close to a billion dollars in, in just creating a toy or a cartoon off of a toy line. I mean, it just was ridiculous how big it got. And I don't think anybody anticipated, like I couldn't keep the toys on the shelf for a while. So they kind of oversaturated the market, I think was part of the reason that it probably declined a little bit. I feel bad for the guys who are designing the toys. You know, you know. Hey, we need more. We need five more He-Man characters to put out this month. What do you got? Um, I've got Duvet Man and <laughs> Kitchen Charothon. I got, I got a Ram Man. Wait, no, we already did that. Fuck. I got a guy with uh, easy chairs as legs. What do you think? Well, and and then at that, I think kind of at that point, they started doing like the battle damage He-Man or, Mm -hmm. you know, like they they tweaked the original characters. So they had the same molds. They just added one other piece to make it different. They only had two molds. Okay. They had two molds and then they, (laughs) well, yeah, it's kind of true. Unless it was like a a character that had web feet or something. Yeah. They really did use the same mold for the legs and arms for everybody. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and looking at it, uh, the best answer I found on why it was canceled, since this is, was actually a question, is that Mattel uh, was advised that since it was already in syndication, uh, the reruns would be enough to support the toy line. And until those other toys came out, that was actually true. Mm. Well, I'm just surprised they got away with it because I know they that there was like legislation or whatever uh, because of them, not necessarily this show specifically, but trying to use it as a basically like a half an hour TV commercial. 
And I, I'm really shocked that they were able to get away with it because it literally was. It was a half an hour TV commercial for the toys. Yeah. And some of us bought into it. Like, I had a shit ton of He-Man toys. <laughs> I like yeah. He-Man. Just could not get into it. I mean, could not get into He-Man. Uh, and I think uh, the reason why they could get away with it is because the Children's Television Act wasn't passed until 1990. There you go. Okay. So this was before. <laughs> A better question is uh, how Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles continued to get away with it. And part of that's probably because they snuck in right before the act hit. And that thing is another juggernaut. Yeah. yeah. To this day. So are we to the point where we are ready to take a break and get into the Kevin Smith Netflix show? I think we totally are. All right. I'm psyched. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, when we come back, we are going to talk about uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, which just popped about like a week or two ago and uh, directed and written by Kevin Smith, who was a new up and comer in movies and TV. Yeah, I never heard of him. We are back, and now we're going to talk about Masters of the Universe Revelation. Recently popped on Netflix. This is a five five episodes? Mm-hmm. So far. First yeah. half. Five episodes of Masters of the Universe animated funness. <laughs> funness. Funness. Uh, so this one <clears throat> is directed by a one Adam Conero, who I'd like to say is... a a little bit better back background on his direction, but this is his first directing role. And he looks kind of like a Walmart great value version of Joel. He does. I looked him up and I went, oh man, you're not yep. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Patrick Stannard, who is also his first directing role. And also a great value. No, that's not no. true. Unfortunately, he was not. smart enough not to put his post, his picture on his IMDb. Yeah. He's got no pickup. Uh, series writing credits for seven episodes. Uh, is Kevin Smith. You may know him from everything that Kevin Smith has done, from Clerks to the travesty that is Tusk to a bunch of other things, all the way ranging from TV shows to cartoons to comics. Yep. He is a pop culture phenom. He is the guy who used to be good and did this to show he still got it. Yep. Also, we've got Mark Bernadine. 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 Uh, He has done two episodes of this. He's known for Castle Rock, Treadstone, and Alphas. Castle Rock, I started watching. I got to get back into that. It's one of those uh, FBI agent winds up in the creepy town in the middle of the forest and can't get out type of thing. Yeah, that's the one that uh, is based on the Stephen King universe. It's a J.J. Abrams joint on Hulu. Yeah, I've been curious about that one. No, okay, then that's not the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. If if you're if you're not thinking one that is like knee deep in Stephen King references, you're you're not watching Castle Rock. Okay, that's something else then. But there is a show like that. I'll figure out what it is. Uh, Eric Carrasco has done writing for Supergirl, Justice League, Action Shorts. Oh, I used to have a pair of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> your Supergirl, Justice League, Action Shorts. Yep. <laughs> now, they're, in the, they're in the drawer right next to his space shorts. I like having yeah. Helen Slater's face on my junk. Okay. All right. Um, move on past that one. How did you make that weird? It was already weird. <laughs> it's a gift. Push that to 11. And then here's the uh, the irony of this one. Uh, Dia Mishra 
who is currently working pre-production on Magic the Gathering, the television series. So are we going to get like Nicole Bolas in real life? Yeah, well, I think we are. Quite possibly, considering that he's one of the biggest characters in Magic. Yeah, they brought Nicole Bolas back from just being a card that kind of kicks your ass to the big baddie, which he should be. Yeah, he, he might be done permanently now, but I mean, done permanently in fantasy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then also we've got Tim Sheridan, who has done such things as Transformers War for Cybertron, which is a great series, DC Superhero Girls, which I hear good things about, and Scooby-Doo and the Curse of the 13th Ghost, which I have seen is actually really good. Yeah, I thought that one was his best credit of these, because I, I didn't think too much of War for Cybertron. I kind of liked it. Good stuff for me. So series cast... Uh, we have Chris Wood, who does the voice of He-Man, uh, who has also done something called Containment and does voices in Supergirl, has been in Supergirl. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, who does who? Tila. I know, right? Who did something back then called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, uh, yeah, with Paul Rubens. Yeah, that, that yeah, one. I remember that one. And then Lena Headley. Hedy. <laughs> damn it. Headley. Headley. Lena Headey uh, from Game of Thrones does the voice of Evil Lynn. Mark Hamill, another new man on the scene who has apparently done stuff for Star Wars and Batman the Animated Series, uh, did the voice of Skeletor. Tiffany Smith does the voice of Andra, and she's been in the show Vice and Supernatural. Diedrich Bader does Trapjaw, one of my favorite guys, both Diedrich and Trapjaw, uh, does Office Space, Drew Carey Show, and he has been the voice of Batman for tons of the DC animated universe stuff recently. Huh. Yeah. Kevin Conroy's going to be pissed. No, uh, he took over, basically took over for Kevin Conroy. Oh. Yeah. Oh, all right. So uh, Liam Cunningham, known also for Game of Thrones, Clash of the Titans 2010 version. Sadly. Oh, he's my favorite character on Game of Thrones. Yeah, if you need an angry Scotsman, you're probably casting Liam Cunningham. Yeah, oh, I love him. And ironically, he does an angry man, man at arms. Yeah, perfect casting. Yes, yeah. agreed. Susan Eisenberg from uh, does the voice of Sorceress, who's also done some voices of Wonder Woman in Justice League, the 2001 that we just did a couple seasons, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, she's big voice actress. Yeah, well, everybody in this has a ton of voice acting stuff on there other cast also uh justin long from galaxy quest and jeepers creepers among other things does a voice of roboto for four episodes griffin newman who does the voice of orco is the uh the tick he, he was arthur on the arthur live the action tick. tick series yeah with yeah, the 2016 uh, peter, peter serafinowitz mm-hmm. uh kevin richardson does the voice of Beastman and has also done the voice of goro from the 1995 mortal Kombat and the voice of captain gantu from lilo and stitch nice yeah. Triclops, Josh's favorite, uh, is voiced by Henry L Rollins, known for something called Black Flag. That's his was his band. He's been yeah, doing I'm, a bit this whole time, Joel. You haven't picked up on the bit, Joel. There's a bit. The, 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 the newcomer, no. Mark Hamill. There's a bit. Okay, he, we're, we're three hundred shows into this, him. Joel. There's a bit. <laughs> he only recognizes bits if they're his. Ah, uh, good point, Pat. Good point. Stay away from Joel's bit. That's what I'm getting from that. <laughs> yeah, like uh, so... Patrick's bits, which no one has seen. <laughs> uh, also, Johnny Mnemonic and a movie. I toss this in there because I watch oh. this, and it's it's called He Never Died. That was a fun movie. It really was. And Henry Rollins is a weird choice, but it made perfect sense when you see it on the screen. For well, Henry, this show, he he does a great he's a great voice actor. He does a lot of voice acting in other cartoons and that sort of thing. So, uh, Stephen Root, uh, Office Space, Talk Radio, and Dodgeball does the voice of Cringer, King of the Hill. 
that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All over the place. Alan Oppenheimer, the original voice of Skeletor, Man at Arms, and more, uh, did the voice of Mossman. And he also, uh, Mossman was actually voiced by Lou Schreimer in the original show. So he does the voice of Mossman for three episodes. Stinkor, for a couple episodes, is done by Jason Mewes. I wanted to just comment on Oppenheimer, because we kind of singled him out as the only one worth a damn in the voice cast of the original. So Mm. I think it's telling that he was the only one they brought back. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when the when the animation team, when the when the script writing team writes the script just so they can watch you do all the voices together at once, I mean, you've got a serious talent there. Uh, Phil Lamar, who is Marvin from Pulp Fiction, Hermes from Futurama, and the voice of Samurai Jack, does the voice of Hero. Alicia Silverstone, known for being Alicia Silverstone, does the voice of Queen Marlena. Tony Todd, uh, I only put him in here because I like to say Scareglow. Oh, Tony Todd's amazing. Yeah, he is. And then finally, Harley yeah, Quinn Candyman. Smith. Yeah. Uh, Harley Quinn Smith, because even Kevin Smith isn't past nepotism, does the voice of Alina for one episode. Oh, he's all in on nepotism. He casts her and everything. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, where else is she going to get work? Well, she's starting to branch out the new non-Kevin Smith things. And Phil Phil Lamar also was just in a Good Shorty that we talked about recently. I was oh, yeah, that's right. Say. Funny how things follow through. All right, so some trivia on this one is that the following characters from the original toy line make their animated debuts. Scareglow, Clamp Champ, and Blast Attack, along with the robotic horse Night Stalker, the dinosaurs Bionotrops, and Turbodactylus, briefly for the three towers of the 1987 Eternia playset, also appear in animation for the first time. As well as Stinkor. Well, Stinkor was animated back in 2002, I think. So this oh. wouldn't be his animated debut. Oh, I was thinking, well, the original show, he wasn't on, though, but Correct. I didn't realize he was later. Yeah, but Scareglow has never been animated before. The other two, I mean, Clamp Chap and Blast Attack, who really gives a fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's why they call it trivia. Yeah. But for Scareglow, that's that's big. <clears throat> Scareglow is kind of a badass character, too. Liked him. All right, so Dietrich Bader and Kevin Conroy have both voiced Batman in an animated series, Bader and Batman the Brave and the Bold, and the adult animated comedy show Carly Quinn, and Conroy was the voice of Batman for the entire animated series. Plus, and Batman Beyond also. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of uh, like Harley Quinn uh, animated series alums in this. Mm-hmm. And those of you that don't know, he does the voice of Merman in this one. Also, in case you were wondering... He-Man and Skeletor's nipples are finally visible on their bare chest for the first time. By contrast, Tila, Evil Lynn, and the Sorceress have been redesigned so that their outfits do not reveal any cleavage. The new costumes for Tila and Evil Lynn also cover up their formerly bare legs. What's crazy is, that's so natural I didn't notice any of that while watching the series. That didn't stand out to me at all. (laughs) Yeah, me either. Yeah, that's why they call it trivia, I guess. No, I think that's awesome. That's good trivia that uh, uh, they a- finally animate things like some people will be like, oh, my God, they're they're desexifying the women. I did not notice that in the slightest. And I didn't notice that suddenly the main guys have nipples and they didn't before. Oh, man. When I turn this on, I'm like, look at all these nipples everywhere. Nipples. It was far more obvious on the Batman suit. Right. <laughs> nipples? When you mold them onto a suit. Yeah. And have a 10 second expose, you know, shot of them. Mm, nipples so this is the first viewing for all of us yep indeed and um i'm thinking the opinions may be swinging for some of us swinging well i personally thought the original sucked this one i despite all the chaos and everything else going on online i waited to watch it 
uh, and was impressed. Uh, yeah, I honestly think that the, most of the people who didn't like this either don't understand uh, storytelling or were all ready for reasons where they're like uh, ready to tear it down once they see it in some ways is like the new Mad Max where the hero takes a backseat and you've got a strong female character taking center stage. They're just like, okay, this disagrees with my feelings about society. So whether it's a good story or not, I'm going to fucking dump on it. Well, the best comment that I saw because people have been dumping on it because there's this whole, he, oh, it's supposed to be He-Man, and He-Man's only in it for a little, you know, spoilers, He's only in it for a little bit of time, blah, 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 and going on about this. And looking at it, uh, somebody else commented, the name of the show is Masters of the Universe. They took, it's not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe anymore. It's Masters of the Universe. So we're getting a little broader on the character characters here. And the shadow of He-Man's presence is across every single episode he is still the most important character but when you have a guy who ends any conflict by just showing up it's very difficult to set stakes Mm -hmm. where's the threat if like just in the previous one in 30 minutes he man's gonna punch it and everything will be fine yes exactly and it was it, it they immediately established that they were not gonna play by the old rule book because i mean that the show starts off with your typical Skeletor's got a plan. Here comes the bad guys. Here comes He-Man. Everybody's going to fight. And then we'll move on to the next episode. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, that just took a hard left. And from there, it's it's a whole new show, in my I opinion. I mean, we can't really talk about this without talking <laughs> about the end of the first episode. Like, it's a neat trick they pull off. Because usually you either decide, okay, we're going to update this for modern audiences and not be true to the original at all. Or... Uh, you're going to go the other way and double down and it's basically just going to be a carbon copy of the original. And somehow Kevin Smith was true to the spirit of every single character and what the show is about, but told a good story with real stakes and a shock at the beginning, where by the end of it, Mossman, He-Man, and Skeletor are fucking dead. What? Yep. Yeah. Now, here's in, in watching it, this is the thing that I came up with in mind. This is what happens when you skip over A New Hope and go straight to The Empire Strikes Back. This is this is what this opening is. This is not a new hope learning about the the hero and his dreams and where he's going to go and the hero's journey and all that. The hero is already here. We step right into Empire Strikes Back where the hero gets struck down. Yeah, we had our new hope for 30 years. Right. Everybody knows who He-Man is. Yeah. No everybody knows he steps in, he punches it, Skeletor runs away. He you know, you needed to get to this second chapter in the trilogy to be able to have any sort of hook for new viewers and old viewers that are not, you know, sitting in the basement in their He-Man underoos type of thing. Yeah. Well, well, and actually answering the question, what does Eternia look like without He-Man and Skeletor? It turns out it has an interesting answer that we explore for three episodes. Well, and then they even go into more deep lore toward in the last two episodes, as far as what happened before He-Man was on the scene to begin with. Um, I thought it was it was kind of it was sad but funny at the same time when Mossman died because what what does Skeletor say? Oh, it piney. smells like pine, and I was like, just like the action figure. All right, so before did? Joel and I continue to gush over the series, let, let's hold our breaths and get a word from Patrick. <laughs> um, I don't have any real complaints about it. I mean, it it was pretty damn good. Um, 
it's still just you know it's he man is something I don't really care about but it was you know it was well done um I don't know who the hell Moss Man is so that didn't like impact me hardly at all I was just like oh that apparently was like his Imagine if they set Greybeard on fire in the Yeah, that, that, that's kind of, that, that's that's kind of where I went with it. I'm like, okay, I imagine this is like his little, you know, his totem or whatever, and I'm like, okay, so it's got to be a big deal. But I, I mean, I didn't know that, so it didn't really hit me, you know. Um, it didn't hit me emotionally. It just, you know, kind of intellectually, I was like, okay, yeah, that's got to be huge. And then he died, and I was like, okay. And then Skeletor, they see they're all dead, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's kind of whatever. I'm like, they're obviously not going to really be dead, so let's move on and find out how, you know. And then we start just start going, and I got like halfway through the second episode before I had to, you know, I couldn't finish anymore. But like, yeah, I just kept going, like, okay, well, when's he coming back? What's going? On? Yeah, yeah, and the answer in the short term is he, <laughs> he's not. Yeah, I, mean, I, I kind of figured that after a while. I was, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. They're just gonna kind of tell the story like without him. Like, you get flashbacks, but <clears throat> yeah. So, well, that I think is part of the goodness of the the whole Hemon mythos in this sort of thing is that. Yeah, he's gone, but it's not like, oh, He-Man's gone. We must struggle on without him. There's, we must struggle on without him. And then there's the flashbacks to how he got to being the legend that he is. You know, that it's not just, oh, our, you know, this other soldier in the fight disappeared for us. It's the guy who was winning this for us is now gone. Well, yeah, and there are three things that are missing after the end of that first episode. You've got the guy who shows up and solves everything in 30 minutes is gone. Magic is draining out of the universe, so it's almost gone. And you've got a power mm -hmm. vacuum created by the fact that you've got all these crazy villains that were toys, but they used to be uh, snake under one banner at Snake Mountain controlled by Skeletor. He's gone, so they fragment into factions and all do their own thing. And seeing well, what they cool. do without uh, Skeletor as someone to keep them all in line is super cool. Well, and I think that the flashbacks also kind of set to remind you that, yeah, you're still in that universe that you grew up with. Here's these crazy shenanigans that they went through. But now here's the stark reality of the fucking world now where everybody, everybody basically split. Once He-Man was gone, it fractured not just the bad guys, but the good guys, too. Well, sure, because they address the one question that a lot of us had as a kid. Like, it, isn't everyone who was not told by He-Man that Prince Adam and He-Man were the same person going to be pissed when they find out? And the answer turns out to be fucking yes. Yeah. It, it ruins Tila in a lot of ways, and she's still coping with it by the end of the mid-season finale. And the king was just like, you guys kept this from me. Fuck all of you. Uh, doing what you used to do is illegal, and you have to leave. And I have to say, kudos to the writer writers, uh, and I don't know whose decision it was or who wrote this character this way, but God damn it, you made me care about Orko. Right? Yeah. I was shocked. Like that How that, do you make Orko cool? That Scareglow, the whole sequence with Scareglow, I was like I was literally getting emotional. I'm like, what the hell? This is not supposed to happen with Orko. I mean, it was kind of badass that he stepped in, you know, for that one Skeletor blast and everything. It's, it's nice they turned him into an actual, like, you know, threat wizard kind of character instead of just a joke. Yeah, I hope you uh, devote the other, like, two hours to just finish the five episodes because it's worth your time, even not as a He-Man fan, just to see what a joke character. Like, Great Gazoo meets Black Mage from Final Fantasy actually makes you care about his fate. That's who he reminds he was it's uh Orko and Vivi. Yes, that's exactly it, what Orko is. Cringer Cringer had kind of a similar he wasn't quite as as big of a uh a leap, but even he had, you know, more character to him than just, oh, I'm a scaredy cat, now I'm a big badass fighting, you know, whatever I am, Liger. 
Yeah, that's that's why that character just mm. never even appealed to me. Like it's just like oh, everything is scary. Like it's just, it's a one note whatever. And they I fix get... that. He fixes that too. Good. And Stephen Root gives him life. Like he he made the character his own. Yeah, he's and not it, in it yeah. super much, but I agree. Like this elevates everything without betraying anything that it used to be about unless you have the you're hung up on the idea that he-man has to be present all the time and he has to be the center of the story i'd argue he still is the center of the story he but it's because he's not present Mm -hmm. and i mean darth vader didn't have to be on screen every single second of star wars to still be darth vader right to be yeah holy crap tila and and evil lynn both just like I mean, I always kind of liked the characters, but I didn't love them. And now I'm like, fuck He-Man, give me these two, you know? And they paid off one of my favorite bits of uh, He-Man trivia, uh, Evil Lynn's actual hair color being white. I was yeah. like, okay, these guys did the deep dive, because that's one thing that almost everybody gets wrong. Because in the animated series, aside from like one or two episodes, she always has a headdress on and you don't see her hair. But there's like two episodes where she takes it off and reveals that her hair is is white underneath. Did you guys or have you guys ever watched um the the like 2013 GI Joe Renegade series? It were, this reminds me a lot of that where they took this giant universe and said, "Okay, we're going to boil this down to like six main characters and we're going to show like what if GI Joe was disbarred by the US government and now they're on the run." So you've got these it's it's all based in realism. It's very realistic. And it's really dark, and you start to see things build to where eventually it would become the cartoon that, you know, we knew. But this kind of felt the same way where, like, they stripped everything down and kind of, it's a continuation, but it's also kind of a reboot. No, and but I know I want to watch that. It's really, it was only for one season, unfortunately, but it's it's awesome. It was really good. But this, this reminded me a lot of that. It, definitely with the same kind of darkness. I'm curious, was it just Joel and I that made it to the end? Oh, no, I made it to the end. Okay, so uh, the one thing I will caution Pat, if he does push all the way to the end, the fifth episode does end on a cliffhanger. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Second half is coming. It's already, it'll be here. uh, I don't remember the date, but it is already scheduled to be released. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I'm I'm glad that they, you know, they have a plan for past this. I mean, Kevin Smith notwithstanding in the whole situation, but I'm... How often have I started watching a show on Netflix or Hulu or whatever? And I'm like, wow, they left that on this whole cliffhanger. And then three years later, I'm like, oh, yeah, there was that show I watched and never found out what happened. And then because it never made it to a second season. I'm glad (laughs) that they I'm glad they've made it. And this got me enough that, like, as long as they keep making it, if it's this quality, uh, I have a feeling I will be binging it whenever it comes out. Oh, yeah. Susie and I sat down. We watched all five episodes in an afternoon definitely definitely gives you a hook right at the very beginning because like i said it's the you're picking up with luke getting thrown into the carbonite right at the very beginning and then everybody talks about oh yeah han yeah yeah crap man also you've got characters that were kind of cool toys but didn't have a whole lot to do in the series like roboto again another character where you're kind of like all right uh, he's he's kind of cool and then by the end of the first half of the series i'm like you did it again. God damn it. Why are you making me care about these people? Yeah, um, I think taking some of the dumb toys and showing how they could be cool with just a little storytelling and taking some of the big favorites. I loved how they used my dude uh, Triclops in this. Yes. Like, when I saw his role in the series, uh, I was just like, they did him right. 
Well, and it also kind of gave you a little bit of that kind of wish fulfillment where as a kid, you didn't necessarily always have maybe He-Man and, and Skeletor fighting. Like you might say, okay, well, what about, I'm going to have Beastman be on He-Man's side. Well, here every you've got good guys and bad guys working together. And so there's kind of that fun of seeing how they're going to interact. And I got to say, Mark Hamill, you killed it again. Like, just nailed it. Mark Hamill just seems like he cannot fail. Right? Well, except when he's driving. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Too soon? Again, he's true to the spirit of the character. He's making the wild, uh, wacky uh, wisecracks. uh, Excuse my alliteration. But he, even though he's still making the bad jokes, he is a legit threat. That's a cool trick. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the the Skeletor in the original one was a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah, let's see how this works. I'm going to make a giant pie and throw it at the king, and then we'll see what happens there. But this one, he's like, he leans a little bit more towards the Joker, not voice notwithstanding, where it's like, I'm going to do this. Like, and I'm going to be straight up violent about it. Now, Pat, spoilers. I'm going to stab Prince Adam right through the friggin' chest. Yeah, he's like, I've got this cool disguise power. Instead of sneaking around to trick people, why don't I just, like, use it to set a trap and, like, end everybody? And then he fucking does it. It's well, great. Because you're, you're, when you watch the old show, you're like, okay, he's got this convoluted plan. Why doesn't he just shoot him? Why does, you know, like, speaking of... uh. What was the other thing you just mentioned, Mike? Uh, Mark Hamill's driving ability? No, or like or like Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, you know, here's this guy doing all these cool tricks, and then Indy just shoots him. You know, it, that's kind of where Skeletor went with it. He's like, okay, I've got all these convoluted plans. Why don't I just try and stab him? Let's see what happens. And it works. Yeah. It worked a little too well. Twice. Well, well and it, it made it made Skeletor an actual threat. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I mean, for the longest time in these shows, I mean, you had in the previous shows, you had He-Man. He's going to fight Skeletor. Who's going to win? It's going to be He-Man because He-Man just beats him in 30 minutes. And now it's like, oh, shit, you know, Skeletor up the ante on this one a little bit. Also, Tila's redesign. I fucking love it. I love the way they designed her character to look. It is so cool. Yeah. And I, like, I, I, I am sad when I see people like, oh, my God, people are getting politics in the, the dude. Just... Let history it, pass you by. And what, enjoy not to enjoy just, the show. Women exist. They're 50% of our society. Like, it's not unusual that a woman can do something. It's just, it, why are you free? It's not like, you know, they're saying, like, Eskimos are in everything now. You know, like, no, it's like women are 50% of the society. What I will complain about with Tila's redesign, just to toss this out here, her weapon is the biggest freaking it's whatever it needs to be Mary, at the it's moment. It's a Mary Sue or whatever they it's call a, it. Uh, uh, what is uh, Joel? What's McGuff- the uh, MacGuffin? It's a MacGuffin. It's a hundred percent MacGuffin. But it Do you need a lance? Been. It's a lance. Do you need a sword? It's a sword. Do you need a, a net? It's a net. I mean, that's true, but it's not a. That's not a function of the redesign. That's what her weapon has always been. Has it? Yeah, yeah. because okay. her father's uh, mm-hmm. man at arms who does all the inventions. Oh, okay. She always had a weapon that was whatever it needed to be, and plus a, a ray gun on her arm. See and, that I I didn't know that about her weapon because, like I said, I never really watched the original show. But at one point, I'm looking at this going. This thing has been so many weapons at this point; it should be like impossible to lift. 
And that's kind of the shtick is uh, Man at Arms whole thing is he designs weapons as an engineer and inventor for Eternia and she's his adopted daughter. They even uh, touched on that a little bit where he was going to tell her uh, who her real parents were. She's the sorceress's daughter. Yeah, I was going to say, if you haven't figured that out, I think it's pretty obvious. But they still haven't told her uh, in this. And so she's going to be thrilled about being lied to again for all of her Yeah, life. I was going to say, I hope she takes it better than the original for first uh, secret. Um, I thought it was an interesting choice that Kevin Smith, I assume, was the one behind it, took a deep dive, pulled a character that was only in, I think, one comic and put them as a a co-star. Because Andra is not a character from the series. She was in a one one issue of a comic, I believe, from what I remember, like a really minor, minor character. And now she's kind of right in the forefront. Yeah, and I think that's to kind of give the audience role, the someone who's kind of unfamiliar or only knows them from legend, so they can talk about themselves and what used to happen without it being unnatural. And normally those sorts of characters piss me off, but I thought that uh, she was handled pretty deftly. And it's still it's still uh, continuity. Like, it still is literally part of that universe, just one that you probably missed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Triclops also is a is a legitimate threat. I never right. found him to be very scary, but he's like a legitimate threat. And to have Henry Rollins do that, that characterization was, like I said, it seemed like an odd choice to me at the beginning, but once I saw where they were going with it, I was like, dude, that's spot on. Spot. All right. So, yeah. so we uh down to thumbs up, thumbs down. I think we are. Cause I'm going in my mind over stuff in the series. It was cool to see the Eternia version of Heaven and Hell, but aside from that, just a little throw that out there, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about this. It wouldn't just devolve into wasn't this moment awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. Because so, it right. was. Yeah. Because it was, yeah. So Josh, then give me your uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, I, I am probably the most enthusiastic thumbs up for both, but that was partially because I, I walked into the original knowing that I had to manage my expectations and that there were going to be flaws. I was going to see those flaws and I was going to love it in spite of them. And I am 100% all in on the reboots. Uh, I hope they make more. I hope that the backlash doesn't take it down and leave us with only the piece of crap it looks like Netflix is putting out for the next He-Man show. Big thumbs up. Joel, how about you? Uh, Well, first of all, Netflix, what the hell with the other series for kids, little kids with He-Man? Bad timing. Um, I mean, the, the initial show is still a thumbs up primarily for nostalgia purposes. It's not as bad as I was expecting. I was expecting a Voltron, but uh, the new series, 100% double thumbs up. I would, I'm excited for the other half of the first season. Patrick, how about you? Uh, I think mine pretty clear. Thumbs down for the original and thumbs up for the new. Yeah, I'm in the same one for Patrick. I mean, I started watching the original one. I, while I'd never been a fan and I did kind of take that into account, it's it's too goofy for me. I I normally try to give three or four episodes, even if I hate it. Like I did, you know, I did that for Voltron. I've done it for most things. You know, I'll watch the pilot and the last one and maybe one or two of the highest rated ones. That's usually my pattern, you know, especially if I don't like it. That's the most I watch. This mm. one, I watched the pilot and I was like, I have no interest in watching. any. <laughs> it made me so mad. I was like, no, I don't want to watch any more of this shit. <laughs> so I always... I don't, yeah, you guys were talking about improvements made on later on. I'm like, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't even give it a chance. It made me so mad. I just, it was just so bad that I mean, yeah, I'm with you, Patrick, on this one. On the original one, I got two two episodes in, and then I'm like, 
not even in. I mean, just like I just randomly chose the second episode, and was just like, Meh. yeah. I tried. To, I couldn't finish the second episode. I tried to start. I was like, no, I don't. I don't want to do this. I, I, I love to tell you guys it gets better, but <laughs> I, I just, mean, I just for once. I mean, I, I just for once decided. You know what? I don't want to do this for the podcast. I just don't. Yeah. I, I don't want to do it. Like, <laughs> Josh is standing outside of a prison shower to us. It gets better. <laughs> I mean, I think you can appreciate the new series more if you have a a deeper uh like like understanding of the original series, but I think he he did, he tweaked it in such a way that you don't have to. You can still No, I mean I I enjoyed this I enjoyed the new series. I gave a thumbs up. I'm giving a thumbs up to the new yeah. series. But yeah, you don't I I can't I mean I I don't even have any nostalgia to go back on with that. But I, I think he wrote it in such a way that you don't have to because he gives you enough flashbacks and, and context that you can enjoy the series as a standalone and and then not have to have that, that back catalog. Yep. Which is smart. Yeah. So, uh, Joel, what's uh, coming up on the calendar? Uh, well, we are taking a trip to Fantasy Island and we're going to be talking about famous people we've met. Yeah, famous people interactions. And then coming up soon, we're going to have some guests on this show. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, the guys from the uh, History of Bad Ideas are going to be joining us on a round uh, round robin over the month of September, filling it's in back. for each of us. Yes, and uh, yeah, we're getting a little crossover and some new uh, input and insights on shows coming up. Hey, man. All right, so if you've got your thoughts on He-Man, the Masters of the Universe, anything else coming up, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep, and if you want to, again, find our back catalog of shows, you can find them on your favorite podcast apps, such as Podbean or Pandora. Give us a thumbs up on there. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear about us, so leave us a review on Apple, Google, or Amazon Podcasts, and you can support the show through the Ko-fi link in the show notes and help us keep the uh, hosting costs at bay. Again, get out your power sword and run around the neighborhood in your underoos and stuff. Celebrate He-Man. That's a Tuesday. With your leather harness on. Yes. Wait, actually, oh. don't do that. You'll get arrested. Oh, well, daddy. A, and and you'll get chafed. Leather but harnesses you might are make no some joke. New friends. No, you will make new friends. <laughs> oh, you'll you'll be friends with Fisto by the end of it. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. 